Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Indeed. And what we are going to do this morning is to compare creation stories. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, please, Liam. The beginning of the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 says, This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Okay, so really what you need to do to grasp the full significance of today's Bible study is to read down through these passages and you have two versions of the creation story. They both agree with each other. Uh, They're both complementary to each other. The second one is just expanding on the first one. So the first one sort of gives you the whole thing in broad brushstrokes. The second one is much more, uh, I guess, intimate and personal in relationship to the creation of human beings. But there are some interesting points that are highlighted when you come down through particularly the Genesis 2 creation story. So let's go over to Genesis 2. And Liam, why don't you just kind of keep reading there for us for a bit from Genesis chapter 2. So so the creation of heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it. Uh, Was that... that, That's uh, the start of chapter 2. Yeah, starting from verse 4 where we left off. Okay, so verse 4. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, let's stop there for a moment and let's consider what it is that is actually taking place. When you read this account, what kind of picture of God does it give you? A gardener. Okay, a gardener. Yes. yes. And what would that say about God's character and personality? Well, my uh, my grandfather, uh, my grandparents, they all like to garden. They the whole generation do. They, they do. They consider themselves gardens, gardeners. Yep. And whenever they're in the garden, that's, that's all they care about. That's all they love. When birds come, uh, so long as they, they love it when birds come, so long as they're not... You know, destroying the plants. Yeah. When birds come, do come to destroy the plants, or, or I guess if you another word, if outside beings come to destroy the plants, they take care of them. They yeah. they you uh-huh. know, get the uh-huh. hose out and spray them um, to to desert to get them. Your parents, your grandparents, very nice using a hose. One, we one, kind of used to hose our, our pests down in a different kind of way, but we won't go there this morning. <laughs> Look, I've got two sets of grandparents. One did them one way, one did them another way. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, um, but no, they, they they loved them. They cared about them, and you know, if every now and then the wind might knock them over and they might break something, they would nurture it back to full health. It was they 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 loved their gardens. Every morning they'd be out watering, and uh, making sure that uh, the garden was healthy and good. Absolutely. Okay, so what you've got here then is. Somebody who is taking care. Yes. So we have a God who is taking care, 
and uh, a God who is okay. So when you think about your grandparents and they're and they're growing a garden, what kind of things did they grow in their garden? Uh, well, one set of grandparents, the ones that used to just hose the birds, yep. they grew lots of flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, the only herb or vegetable that they grew was parsley. And I, I loved, I, 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 one of my favorite things was to go out to the garden and grab some parsley and eat it. Okay, so this is a very creative exercise, isn't it? It because is. Because they're creating artwork. Yes. And the other set of grandparents, they, they had flowers as well, but they predominantly had like fruits, uh, vegetables and, and fruits. and. So things. they're creating things that have... Taste and yes. flavor. and Yes, exactly. Um, and so what you've got then is really two different forms of art. Exactly, yeah. So you have the culinary arts and you have the visual arts. Um, you've got them perfectly contrasted in your two sets of grandparents. And it's very sad that today we have really lost the art of gardening. And there used to be, you know, our grandparents' culture, everybody grew vegetables in their backyard. You go to Europe, everybody grows vegetables in their backyard. It's just what you do. My grandparents had a whole garden. I have one single pot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of how it is. It's kind of sad. Yeah. But what it is, it's a reflection of the fact that we were created in the image of God and that God started as a gardener. Indeed. He created this world as a creative exercise. He created it for the purpose of, because he is a lover of beauty, he created human beings because he is a lover of relationships. He created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he is love, and without the power of choice, love does not exist. And so what you find in everything that God is doing, he is doing it as an expression of his character, as a revelation of his character, and what we find is that God's character is a character of love. He loves things that are beautiful. He loves things that are amazing. He loves relationships. He loves artistic expression. He loves creativity. This is what God is involving himself in. Okay, so that's going to be very interesting when you compare it with pretty much any other creation myth that is out there because today we're going to be comparing God's creation with the various creation myths that exist in, I guess, the many different parts of the world and very different cultures from our world. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so the Bible story, and this is what makes it unique, speaks about a God who is a God of love, who is a God of creativity, who is a God who loves everything that is beautiful and amazing and you know you continue on and it also speaks about a god who for whom death is the enemy he creates beings that are immortal he is immortal and he creates beings that have the um the the possibility you know the 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 expectation that they will never die uh he is a god who does not like sin and because he does not like sin and because he does not like pain and suffering that sin brings, then he is a God who has a plan of salvation um, up his sleeve. There's all, all of these things that we find coming through in the first three chapters of Genesis. Okay, if we compare that with the Atrahasic epic, and so there are scholars today who will share with you the Atrahasic epic, and as such, they will compare this and they will say, well, you know, this is where Moses copied it from. Uh-huh. Let's read the Atrahasic epic and see if this is where Moses was copying all of this from. I'm interested to listen to this. All right. When the gods, instead of man, did the work, bore the loads, the gods' load was too great, the work too hard, the trouble too much. 
Let the womb goddess create offspring. And let men, let man bear the load of the gods. Geshtui, a god who had intelligence, they slaughtered in their assembly. Nintu mixed clay with his flesh and blood. And that's how they created the first human being. Okay, what does this tell you about the character of these gods in the Atrahasis epic? They're telling me that uh, each specific. Let me okay. Let me compare it to to my grandparents gardening again. So, my grandparents they all did all the work, but I guess to to compare it to this scenario, what they would need to do is they would need to get one person to come in to get the fertilizer, one person to come in to get the to do all the pruning, one person to come in to to just plant the plants, one person to come in to uh, mow the lawn, one person to come in to to turn the tap on, one person to collect the water, one person to water the plants. So there are basically lots of different people that... It, it's more of a chore than, a, than a, a, a something that you enjoy doing. Okay, but let's look at, let's look at what's happening here. That's absolutely, because the gods here, they don't want to do stuff. They, they are intrinsically lazy. Yes. So this is the first character, um, uh, I, I guess the first character trait that we see coming out here in the Atrahasis epic is that there are multiple gods and they are all bone lazy. In fact, these are gods that are in many ways more human than humans. <laughs> um, the, 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 the load was too much, the work was too great, the trouble too much. So it was too much for the gods and so they were, let's, let's, uh, let's create humans and so that humans can do it. Okay, so now humans are going to be a lesser level than gods they're going to therefore for them to be able to do that kind of work it's going to be much more difficult for a human to do it and so they're basically well let's create slaves to take care of the world because this is too much work for us we are gods we have lots of power let's create beings who have less power than us so that we can control them and work them to death in looking after the world Okay, so then let's see how they go about creating the first human being. What do they do? They get a god, one of their number. So they call an assembly. That's like, oh, let's all get together. Like, hey, oh, we're all together now. And they have a plot here. So they grab one of these gods and they slaughter him right there. Cut his throat, bleed him to death, whatever it might be. They slaughter him. They kill him. And then one of the gods gets his blood, mixes it with clay, and makes a human being from it. And that's the creation story. So, okay, there's a flaw in this, I think. A flaw? Well, there's many flaws. <laughs> this but is what... Liam with the understatement of the sentence. <laughs> but one flaw that sort of jumps out to me is that if you, if, if you are made with the blood of, uh, of a, a, god. a god, yes, would that not make you a god? If you're, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're definitely carrying uh, divine DNA, aren't you? If you are washed clean with the blood of God, that's different. Absolutely, because washed means that that blood is on the outside. It is. Cleaning the filth off, whereas Using created it, from it means that that blood is on the inside. So m- maybe it, it'd be, I mean, I've, I've heard the word demigod used for yes, some things. Yes, that's right. And, this is, and this, is exactly, this is exactly where these pagan religions come from. It's because like, well, actually, we're all gods. Yeah. You know, and uh, because I'm the emperor, then I've got a little bit more God DNA in me than everybody else because uh, I wouldn't be in this position if that was not the case. And so you have the whole cult of emperor worship that comes in. 
Um, there's, you know, there is so much here. And what you find is that these are cults that are saturated, like seriously saturated in an appeal to the flesh. Um, and so it's all about sinful, evil, wicked humanity. And what the humans have done is made up gods who are like themselves. It's like, okay, if I was God, how would I live? Well, if I was God, I would want to be lazy, so I would create slaves. So let's create slaves. If I was God and I couldn't find slaves anywhere, how would I do that? Well, I would hatch a violent, vicious uh, plan that would enable me to get together the elements that I needed to be able to create those slaves and hatch some kind of devious plot where I would trap some other God and you know, have him killed off so that, you know, this can take place. This is a very, very, very different scenario than what you find happening in Genesis chapter 2 where we have a God who creates a perfect world, who plants a garden in it. He plants all kinds of beautiful things all the way through it. He populates it. He creates human beings so that he can have a relationship with them, so that they can experience love, so that he can love them. You know, this is what we're reading uh, here in Genesis chapter 2. Let's, let's, let's continue reading in Genesis chapter 2. I think we got up to, what was it, verse 11? Verse, or verse 10. 10. 10. Verse, verse, 10. Read verse 10. The river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the gardens, then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around, an entire, flowed around the entire land of Havila, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, followed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. These are, these are all rivers that, that I've heard of. Yes. That are still here today. They are. So if you... Could, could we... This is a bit a bit off track, but following these, could you work out where the Garden of Eden was? No, you could not. Why not? Okay, because if you go to, for example, uh, if you look at uh, the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is that that surrounds the whole land of Ethiopia. Okay. Uh, okay. So you've got that river. That's obviously the Nile, the Blue Nile. Yep. That uh, runs through Ethiopia. Then you have the uh, Euphrates River. So the Nile rises from, where is it, uh, Kenya, Tanzania? From Lake Victoria. Rises from Lake Victoria in Africa and flows north. Okay, the Euphrates River and the Tigris Rivers rise in Turkey and they flow southeast. They don't have common headwaters. They don't cross paths. They don't come anywhere near each other. They are not related to each other in any way, shape, or form. Couldn't triangulate anything? No, you can't triangulate anything. Okay, Okay, so basically what happened was that um, during the flood, there was so much upheaval in our world that, uh, that, you know, all old landmarks vanished. But, of course, when people came out of the ark and they were, you know, inhabiting um, inhabiting our world and, you know, spreading out and exploring the place... As they do today, like for instance, here in Australia, um, we have the city of Perth. In Tasmania, you have the town of Perth, but they are named after Perth, which is in the UK. 
And so human beings, when they move to a new locality, carry with them the names of their old locality. And this is what is happening after the flood. They've carried with them the names of the rivers that they knew from their old locality, and they have used those names in their new locality. And so, yes, these uh, these rivers here have no relationship whatsoever at all to the old rivers, except that they carry the same name. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we get some really big differences between the two. And when you read this, and we were talking about these various rivers and off-air, Liam and I were chatting about it. You know, when you get one river... Sorry, four rivers that rise in exactly the same place. That's fairly unique because rivers flow into each other, not out of each other. And this is, you've got four rivers flowing out of a spring. So it kind of conjures up in your mind something like a fountain in the center of the garden uh, because that can create a geographical environment um, or a topographical environment in which four rivers can flow from one source. Here's a bit of a question. We knew Jesus was uh, Jesus was a good carpenter. How do you think did he how do you think he went as a plumber? <laughs> I, well, I, I'm not quite sure how the question relates, but I will say that in those days, basically carpentry um, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of crossover between all trades. I was just saying cuz cuz he set up this fountain in the middle of the garden, he would have needed yeah. to just a bit of a, a joke. Someone laughed. And that's what <laughs> that's what counts. Okay, um, we coming back to the uh, story at hand here. What we do find is that yes, there are a lot of creation myths. What there is even more of is uh, flood myths. And so the question is: Do any of these myths have any basis in reality? In other words, do any of them go back and give us an indication that somewhere in the past there was something that took place that gave some level of reality to uh, those myths? And so what you've got to conclude is that you know, whenever you've got a myth, there usually is something at its foundation. Obviously, over time, it gets corrupted. That's why one of the great things about the Bible is the Bible is given, given to us by inspiration. And because the Bible is given to us by inspiration, we are able to, um, you know, we, we, can, we can trust the Bible account and it corrects many of the myths that have been handed down to us over the centuries. But the fact that these myths exist and, and the fact that universally they point back to um, supernatural creatorship of our world indicates that at some point there was a common story and that the biblical account is the common story that was the original common story. Uh, you find it with the flood myths and it's interesting just how universal these are because when you get an event that's as big as the flood, I mean you think about this um, Liam for a moment where you have a, 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 a cataclysmic event that is so big it doesn't just define the century it defines all of humanity and that's what the flood was you know this was an event that was so off the scale it was a defining event i mean think about the defining events in your lifetime um probably COVID 19 COVID 19 is definitely one of them another one uh, when my grandparents my, my, yeah my I'm, grandparents. No, I'm talking about i'm talking about oh, your generation generation yeah COVID 19 yeah COVID 19 yeah. will be the defining event for your generation uh generation before that uh probably the defining event would be the uh 9-11 yep generation before that uh probably the end of the cold war yep 
generation before that, Vietnam War, generation before that, Second World War. You know, these are all defining events for a generation. But, you know, my generation, the ex-gens, um, who are defined by the end of the Cold War, is kind of meaningless to you guys because it was like, oh, that was so long ago and that was in the dim distant past and, yeah, there used to be this thing called the Cold War. Whereas for us it was very real and it was very impacting and very powerful. But here you've got an event that is so big. It you know, if you've got If you've got something that is this big that, you know, the whole world is wiped out except for Noah and his family, that's going to impact everyone and that's going to create myths that are going to be passed down and transmitted, you know, from generation to generation with everyone. And, of course, those that are more closely connected to an earlier form of writing are going to have more accurate depictions of it than those that are, say, for instance, purely, um, you know, verbal cultures where it's handed down from person to person. But all cultures have it. It's universal. Just look up flood myths on Wikipedia. Spend a little bit of time. Have a read through some of those and you will start to, you know, to, to see what is going on. You know, if you go to China, for instance, and you look at the early history of China, you've got, you know, one of the founders of China is a person by the name of Nu Hua who builds a rainbow-colored altar. So you've got the altar, you've got Noah, you've got uh, the rainbow all there in that one story together. Then if you use um, Chinese characters, traditional Chinese characters, to write the word ship, you write the word ship by combining together the radicals for eight people and a boat makes a ship. You know, this is the flood story right here. Uh, Another one that, uh, let me just see if I'm... I I just chucked into Wikipedia flood myths and... Yeah, and it's just like a ridiculous, ridiculous Wowzers. amount of blood myths. <laughs> so in Hawaii, Hawaiian mythology, Nu'u, and we know who Nu'u is, that's Noah, was a man who built an ark um, with which we, he escaped a great flood. He landed his vessel on top of Mauna Kea on the Big Island. Nu'u mistakenly attributed his safely to the moon and made sacrifices to it. Kane, or Ka'ane, the creator god, descended to earth on a rainbow and explained Nu'u's mistake. Okay, it's a little bit different from the flood story that we have in the Bible. You've got to remember that this one was passed down through generations without being written down. And so you would expect there to be differences. And you can go anywhere on the planet. And there are thousands of these flood myths. You can certainly, even in the, the, the Nu'u story, you can certainly see the similarities. Well, you've got Noah, you've got the flood, you've got the rain, ark, there's a you've rainbow. got the mountain, you've got the rainbow, you've got the sacrifice. It's all there. Yeah, it's all there. Um, and so this is what you're going to find as you go around the world is that these stories were preserved, although they became corrupted, they were definitely. Pre- it's interesting. The flood stories are better preserved than the creation stories. The creation stories are a little bit more mixed up, you know, because they're another, you know, seventeen hundred years earlier, obviously, than the flood story, um, and they are more open to being corrupted by their interaction with local gods. But the flood stories are actually very, very good, you know. Um, and and you've got Noah and his family of eight, you know, kind of wherever you go. Um, okay, so let's go back to our Bible study passage. And where did we finish reading? We were reading about these four rivers. Let's we got up to verse 15. 
Yeah, why don't you keep reading for us there, Liam? All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse and What we're doing here is we 15. are comparing the creation account in the Bible and the character of the God that we find here with the bloodthirsty gods that you find in the other creation myth stories. 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat, this, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave the names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. Okay, when you read that story through there, you find a God who is who is really interacting with human beings. Oh, yeah. And he hasn't created them as slaves, has he? He's given them tremendous privilege, and he is building a relationship with this with these human beings because he's like, okay, I've created this man.